Music is a beautiful thing, and it? it's both a gift that God has given to us, it expresses the beauty of life, but it's also a gift that we can give in response to God. And there's moments in time when music just draws us into to worship. It's a beautiful place to be. Over the past two Sundays, we've looked at Psalm 111 and a Psalm 112 and how they are connected to one, uh, to one another in structure and they kind of flow together in a, in a continuous thought. And I hope, if nothing else, maybe you just at least learn something about its structure, but hopefully uh, maybe gain some more from that. But today we're going to begin a new focus. And for many of us, as I mentioned with the, the kids in our children's lesson, there's about to be some changes happening this time of year, um, and for those especially connected with the school system, so maybe students, parents, teachers, administrators, grandparents even, there's a lot that, uh, that this time of year just kind of changes for us, and we find ourselves now looking forward and preparing for the year ahead, so maybe there's some Back to school shopping, some new backpacks and lunch boxes and school supplies and clothes and shoes and everything that goes along with it. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a readjustment to get back into the swing of things. I know, at least in my household, that might take a little extra effort this year. I don't know if any of us are looking forward to that, but it's going to be here before we know it. When we talk about new beginnings and new years and even new chapters in life, you know, whether it's new school year as a teacher or student, or maybe it's a new job, a new place to live, or a new chapter in life like heading off to college or getting married, or in the case of the Jacksons, all of those things in like two weeks <laughs> within their family, uh, whatever that next chapter might be for you, how we begin those chapters is important. You know, especially if we can kind of prepare for them. How we begin those new chapters is important. Because when we set out on that new chapter, how we begin really sets the tone for for what follows. And it can really have a lasting impact. And our focus for today... uh, Well, I thought we would talk about beginnings, and specifically for this morning, just thought, hey, why not the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And the word Genesis, uh, it's not just the name of the book of the Bible, it comes from a Greek word that means beginnings. And Genesis is a word that describes something's origin or source, and it's a fitting name for the opening book of the Bible, because that's what the book of Genesis describes. It talks about origins and the source of all that is. But before we read these words, let us offer a prayer. Loving God, your works are on display for all to see, and yet we rarely give a passing thought to your glory. We desire wisdom in life, yet we look to society rather than to you, for truth. We pray, Holy Spirit, awaken us, revive our hearts, and renew our minds to see your glory, that we may joyfully walk in the light of your wisdom and truth. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. These are likely familiar words. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. I love those words. It's like, what, a, what an opening to, to any book. I think those are some of the, the best words in all of literature, right there in my opinion. They're elegantly just direct, and they speak in simple language of the origin of all the universe and of all life. And, and then of all its, you know, what will become just complex and, and dramatic and chaotic and all that, as, as we'll see in the weeks to come. But in this beginning, it's just like so pure. There's a purity in it. And one thing I want to encourage us to do, though, as we think about these words, I want you to think about these words not as a science textbook, I think we do a disservice to the text when we do that. I don't think that's uh, necessary for us to do that, and I don't think it's exactly faithful to the real meaning of the text to do that. While this text is definitely describing a cosmological perspective and understanding, it's not doing it so much for a scientific purpose or means, at least in our 21st century understanding of science. It's not giving scientific proofs, but it is talking about a cosmology that gives ontological meaning and significance and purpose to the universe, as we will see in the weeks to come, also to humanity. But what I'm trying to say is that these words in Genesis 1 communicate something far beyond what science can do. Science has limitations, but these words in Genesis... They communicate true meaning and significance for existence. And ultimately, they're statements of faith. Earlier, I mentioned that how something begins is important, you know, whether it's in our own lives. But when we think about that in the context of the Bible, how it begins is very important. And I think how it begins is very intentional as well. Because what these first words of Genesis do is it sort of sets the tone. And it sets the foundation for everything that is to follow. What these words say and the meaning that they communicate become for us a lens in which we look through in our search for understanding for the whole biblical narrative. It starts in Genesis chapter 1. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, there is a fundamental truth revealed to us in these first words that should shape and and influence our understanding. So I've titled the sermon today, The Genesis, A Revelation. And the the title's an intentional play on words in in at least a couple ways. The first, as we think about the whole Bible, begins with Genesis. What does it end with? Revelation. There you go. So as we think about the conclusion of the Bible, you know, with the end in mind, We begin with the Genesis. There is a connection there. If we are to better understand the end, we need to understand the beginning. 
This is the, the genesis, the starting place of Revelation in the end. But the second way that I mean uh, for this title is the book of Genesis is the genesis, is the beginning point of the revelation of God. This time I mean revelation not necessarily as the book of the Bible, but as what it means, as that which is revealed. This is the beginning point for our conception of God. And in these pages, we immediately begin to know something about the nature and the character of, what, of who God is and what God has done. It is the genesis of revelation of who God is. So the goal today is to talk about what is revealed to us in these first few verses. I just took the first five verses of Genesis chapter 1. So let's start. Ready? In the beginning, God. Pause. We're not going to go any further. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Four words into the Bible, and we can already stop there. There's things to talk about. And actually, in Hebrew, that's only two words in Hebrew. The first thing to observe that, is, or the first thing to observe is that Genesis does not give us an account of how God came into being. It doesn't tell us about God's origin. It just says, "In the beginning, God," meaning that God was already present and assumed in the passage. He has always been present. God is self-existent. This first revelation about God that I'm going to kind of mention in this morning as a point is a, here's a theological term for you, is aseity. And I think I've got a slide for that. So Genesis 1 gives revelation of God's divine aseity. What does that word mean? Aseity describes God's self-existence. God's existence is not nor has it ever been dependent on anything or anyone else other than himself. God is from eternal past, not created or formed in any way. God is. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. To say that God is from everlasting to everlasting means that God is from eternity past and will be into eternity future. And God is self-sufficient, self-existent, and eternal from everlasting to everlasting, dependent on nothing else. So continuing in these first words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This Second revelation about God that I will mention describes God's freedom and will and generosity just in the very act of creating. When we think about what creating is, but we see that here nothing outside of God compels him, compels God to create other than God's own desire to do so. God wasn't obligated to create. God didn't owe us anything to create us or the world or anything. God chose to because of his own will because of his own freedom because of his own desire to do so because of his own generosity and love to do so to create something whether it's a sculpture or a painting or play-doh or whatever it might be 
to create something is in a way, it's, it's something that's outward focused. It's something that's outside of us. It's almost like a gift, if we think of it in that way. If we think about art as a gift, the artist is the giver. And to me, to say that God is creator is also to mean God is a giver. Creation is a free and outward act of God. And as such, creation itself, just the fact that there is things in this world and the fact that you are sitting in these chairs gives testimony to the character of God because it speaks to God's benevolence and generosity and love that even chose to do that. All right, the third thing. We're going to keep moving through the text here. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The third revelation about God that I want to mention this morning is that of God's sovereignty over all things. Genesis 1, without a doubt, speaks to the divine and absolute sovereignty of God over all things. And to illustrate this point, I want to make it a, a, a kind of a different observation. It's an observation of something that doesn't appear in our text. But it's something I feel is relevant because we have to kind of think about this text in the ancient cult in the ancient world in that cultural context and so to do this i've got to give a little detail so hang with me okay you have to consider these ancient israelites lived a long time ago thousands of years ago their culture was a lot different than ours they were also surrounded by other nations and tribes and cultures you know they didn't just live in a vacuum they lived in the midst of an ancient world with other cultures and thoughts and beliefs. And so here they are, this little nation, really, of Israel, sound, uh, surrounded by powerful nations like Assyria and Egypt and Babylon. And each of those other civilizations, nations, whatever you want to call them, had their own stories of origin. And one of these examples is the nation of Babylon, and it, remember that it was the nation of Babylon. They, they get a lot of press in the Bible because they are the nation that came in and destroyed Jerusalem. And they took the people into exile. They took them into Babylon. So think about these Israelites. They're no longer in their, their little, you know, their secure homeland. They are in this other culture. They are in this other uh, nation. And they're being exposed to that culture and that way of life. The Babylonian uh, creation story, if you want to call it that, is called the Enuma Elish. And I thought about reading a little summary of it, but I'm not going to spend time doing that this morning. But it's, it's interesting, for sure. Um, if you want a copy of it, if you're ever interested, let me know. But what I'll say about it is this. It's a crazy story. <laughs> it's this wild, dramatic story about gods battling other gods and about this power struggles and power dynamics and these warring deities and basically from all that creation just sort of happens in the fallout but i mentioned this other story because if you consider the cultural influences around israel 
and the fact that they are in this, this other culture. But you consider it in light of Genesis chapter 1, of who the Israelites say that God is, who the Israelites know that God is. Genesis 1 says something even more significant to me. Because while the Babylonians and other ancient religions believed in all these warring deities, who does God war with in Genesis 1? No one. There are no other deities. It is just God. There's no power struggle. There's no one for God to contend with because God is sovereign. There are no other gods. And to make this point a little further, if we go to the book of Isaiah, and it's a long book, but if we draw some verses from Isaiah, there's a part in Isaiah when he, Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God to the Israelites who are in exile, who are in Babylon. He's speaking to those people. And within the, the pages of these, ver- or the, the, these passages, this is what God says. See if you can find a common denominator in all these passages. So Isaiah 43 says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Isaiah 44, 6 Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. A little later on. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God. Who formed the earth and made it, he established it. I am the Lord, there is no other. I could go on for a few more of those. Did you catch the repeating pattern there? God is God and there is no other. You Israelites who are being, who are surrounded in this culture with all these beliefs of warring deities, no, I am God, there is no other. The message of scripture is clear. There is none besides God. God is true and God is the only creator and ruler of the universe. God is from eternity past and will be for eternity evermore. God is not threatened or challenged. He is supremely and without question sovereign over all creation. The only power that we see in Genesis 1 is God's power. Is God himself working and acting and moving and creating. And when God begins to create, how does he create? It's not in conflict and turmoil. He speaks. It's almost, it's almost in a way, it's, it's almost effortless. He speaks things into existence. Which leads us to our next point uh, of revelation. And that is Genesis 1 also, also gives us a revelation of God's word. God's word sent forth into creation. God's commands and decrees are authoritative. God speaks and creation manifests and is ordered. Psalm 33 verses 4 through 9 say, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his steadfast love of the Lord. 
By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The word of the Lord is truth and power. Which I think describes what the wisdom of God is. Truth and power. The wisdom of God is something that's both true in principle and powerful when practiced. Perhaps it's no coincidence that the author of Proverbs writes about how wisdom was present in creation. In Genesis 1, how wisdom was present. And it's an interesting passage because what the author does is it personifies this idea of wisdom as a, like a, as a person. And so I just want to read a few lines. It says, The Lord possessed me, the me here is wisdom, at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters might not transgress his commands. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Whoever finds me, that is God's wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. God's wisdom is true and powerful. And it is trustworthy and life-giving. And God has made his wisdom available to us in a way that we can comprehend. he, He presents it to us in language. Something that we can learn and absorb and, and make as a part of us. God is a God of reason and intelligence. And he has blessed us with the ability to know him And to walk in his ways. To put that knowledge into practice through the gift of language. God's commands and decrees are authoritative. And the last point I want to make is that revelation in Genesis 1 gives us a pre-revelation of Christ. Kind of sounds a little weird, but if we look at the beginning of the Gospel of John, look at what John does. In the beginning, that's how he begins his gospel. He takes the first words of Genesis and he, he begins his gospel account with the exact same words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
what creation all points to. When we look at Genesis 1, what creation all points to is wrapped up in the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is co-eternal with the Father, and Jesus is the Word that John talks about. Jesus is the wisdom of God in flesh who dwelled among us. Redemption is wrapped up in creation. And as I began saying, these first verses of Genesis set the tone and they provide a lens for the whole of Scripture. They provide a foundation for us that leads to Christ. They are the Genesis of Revelation. And from them we learn about the glory and the majesty of God and the story of our redemption in Christ begins to unfold starting with these pages. So my encouragement for us this morning is may our hearts be moved and give thanks and worship the eternal God of all creation. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word, for words that are often familiar to us. In the beginning, you created the heavens and the earth. God, you show forth your power, your majesty, your wisdom, your generosity. Lord, your, your commands go forth, and creation can do nothing but worship and obey. Lord, help us to be a people who respond in like manner, that when we hear your word, that we would worship and obey. Lord, that we would offer to you our hearts, our lives, and seek to glorify you in everything that we do. Lord, help us to be a church who magnifies you, who, who gathers here on Sunday mornings and worships you in spirit and truth, but who goes forth from this place outside of these doors and walls into the community around us to share your love and grace. Lord, may you receive all glory. Lord, we pray for those 